All right, let's do it. Psalm 150. It's a great place to start with worship. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. You better come alive the next time I say praise. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with lyre and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Where is my drummer? Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Where is my drummer? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then he finishes, why not praise the Lord? Here's what I want you to do. Take a deep breath. Come on. Take a deep breath. If you've been around someone with COVID or you have COVID yourself, please don't breathe out too heavily, okay? Take a deep breath. Let it back out. Take it. You, you know what you're doing? You know what you're telling yourself? You're telling yourself you're a worshiper. What, it, what did the psalm say? Everything that has breath. Every person that has breath. If there's breath in your lungs, you're a worshiper. I don't let anybody tell me I'm not a worshiper. Well, I'm not really a worshiper. Take a deep breath. You'll find it. You'll figure it out. The very fact that you are inhaling and exhaling declares you are a worshiper. You have wor if you have breath in your lungs, you have a praise in your spirit. God has created us to be worshipers. He has designed us to be worshipers. We are called to bring God glory through worship. I am most satisfied when God is most glorified. We live that life through worship. It's what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. So my goal today is this, to make you so familiar with the word worshiper that you will walk out of here and you will know who you are. You'll be so familiar with worshiper, you will walk out of here and you'll know it because if there's breath in your lungs, you're a worshiper. Do it one more time. You're telling yourself, I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. I have breath in my lungs. I have a praise in my spirit. My son, Canaan, man, this kid's on a roll lately. Like, you should hear some of the stories, the questions. I drive him to school in the mornings. He asks me these things. But the other night, it was really funny. Um, I was upstairs doing something I can't remember, and I heard him yelling. And I came down the stairs, and I found him. And he had his little brother cornered against the couch. And he was down, like, right in his face. And he was going like this. He was going, see, see, see. And I'm like, what in the world? And, and Zadok's like pushing him away, like trying to get him out of his face and like trying to crawl out. Of, and and Canaan's got him pinned and he's like, he keeps going, see, see. And I said, Canaan, what in the world are you doing? And he said, dude, I'm trying to see if this bro speaks Spanish. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I'm trying to see if he speaks Spanish. I said, Canaan, it doesn't work that way. Like, he, he, he doesn't just like have it or he doesn't have it. 
right? Like, it's something that he has to learn, right? It's something that he'll pick up on. You keep listening to Bad Bunny, he's gonna learn a little Spanish, right? Like, it's something that he has to figure out. It's not something that just, and the same is true with worship. Worship is just not some have it, some don't. Worship is something we learn and someone we become. It begins to be cultivated in our soul. And I think the, the clearest theology we can have for it is uh, through Paul and through Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 4, and we're going to cover all this, but I'll give you the, the layout for today. Jesus redefines worship, John chapter 4. Jesus redirects worship, Matthew 15. And then Paul re-expresses worship really through all of his epistles. And, it, and that's how it should be, right? Jesus redefines it, Jesus redirects it, and then Paul lives it out. You see it over and over modeled through the Apostle Paul of what the re-expression looks like. So let's dive into the first one. Worship redefined. Jesus redefines worship. John 4, 20 through 24. He says, so tell me, the, the woman, he's at the woman with the well. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now. This is right now, and it's for us today. The time is coming, and indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is really important. This woman is touching on a, a massive divide in Jewish culture, right? So up until this moment, worship was a place that you went, okay? So the custom of worship was temple-based. So you, you went wherever you went, you built the temple, and you had to go to that place to worship. The Levitical system was in play, and you had to bring your offerings for worship to reconnect with worship. So then what happened was, as different passionate followers of God, would begin to emerge, they would, I mean, naturally start saying, well, our, our place of worship is where worship really happens. This is where, it ha I mean, we don't do that with churches, do we? We don't do that, do we? We don't have our own temples. We don't believe the Spirit's with us, but not with, do we? Is that, but this is what was happening here, right? We'll blame it on the old, we'll blame it on the old, we won't, we won't, we'll just say we're beyond this, right? We're the true worshipers, right? But this is what the custom was. They would say, no, 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 why, why are you worshiping on the mountain? It's right here in Jerusalem. Why are you worshiping in Jerusalem? It's up there on the mountain. And Jesus comes along and redefines worship. We, we have to wrap our minds contextually around this because it's really easy. Oh yeah, well now we worship in spirit and in truth. He is completely reshaping their paradigm. He is completely reshaping everything they thought they knew about worship, everything they thought they understood about worship, everything they embraced, the very way they worship. He is reshaping 
everything. And then he says, the time is coming, indeed it is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in two words, spirit and truth. I'll define it for you. The Greek word pneuma is the word for spirit. It's Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, they're going to worship me, and it's going to be by way of the Holy Spirit. But here's where I see this get confused a lot. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. It's not rhema, it's not logos. It's not talking about this. The word, if you translate the Greek word, is speaking to the deep truths of your soul. So he's he's saying when you worship in spirit and in truth, here's how you're worshiping. You're worshiping because the spirit is in you and the deepest places of you, the truest places of you are bringing out that worship. The, The deepest longings of your heart, the deepest cries of your soul, that's where your worship comes from. He's saying it's going to be by way of the Holy Spirit living in you, and it's going to be the truest parts of you. Jesus, what he did was redefine worship from a place you go to a person you become. You, go, you, you quit going to a place and you start becoming that person right? You start living. Worship is not a place that you go. It is a person you become, and you become that person by way of the Holy Spirit to the truest sense of your soul, to the deepest parts of your soul, the deepest truths about you by way of the Holy Spirit are worship. That's why we say all the time, worship is not songs we sing, it's testimonies we declare. It's what God has done here, coming out here, and I am sharing it, I'm expressing it, I'm letting people know about it. You know, uh, there, was, there was a time a couple weeks ago where uh, we needed trash bags. Is there anything worse than running out of trash bags? I mean, look, our home, I do not know what on earth is happening? Three or more kids, where are you at? Three or more kids. Come on, let me see you. Three or more. Tell me I'm not the only one. Okay, thank you, thank you. It is like, how much trash can they produce in a day? We had a 13-gallon trash can, and I was taking it out three times a day. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm done doing this. I bought a 30-gallon trash can. I take it out once a day. I don't even know where it all comes from. I just, I just got a bunch of trashy people in my home, right? Like it's just, there's just trash everywhere. And we're out of trash bags. It's a Monday. And Anna said, hey, will you order some trash bags on Amazon? Now, I'm the, I am, I guess I'm an old soul in this world. I, I just, I'm like, no, I ain't ordering them on Amazon. I'll pick them up at the store. Uh, yeah, hallelujah, right? I hear the old souls out there. I'm like, I'll, I'll just pick it up myself. So I go to work and I, I get busy. And then that evening, I think we had a board meeting and it was, it was late and I was like nine or 10 o'clock and I came home and I forgot the trash bags. I'm like, oh man, I'll get them tomorrow, okay? Next day, Tuesday, Kanan has jujitsu Tuesday evening. So I'm taking Kanan to jujitsu. I forget to pick up the trash. Okay, all right. Wednesday rolls around. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll remember and then Zion has horses Wednesday evening. So I'm like, okay, and I'm running kids here, and I, I take Zion a horse, I come back, and then Thursday rolls around, I'm like, okay, I cannot forget trash bags. And you, and you know what you do, right? When you don't have trash bags, you get these little Kroger sacks on every doorknob, and like, you, they're, just, they're just everywhere, and they're full of trash. And then, like, the rest of your family, they don't care, because I'm the one that takes it out. They're putting stuff inside of the bin without the bag. And you're like, well, you're the one who forgot the bags, right? 
You're supposed to pick up the bags three days ago, right? So it's Thursday, and Canaan has jujitsu on Thursdays, and I forget again. There's just trash everywhere, and I'm taking these little Kroger sacks out, and I'm throwing them in a bin, and I'm getting so frustrated. So I Sabbath on Fridays. I do not work on Friday. I was like, Friday, I'm going to get it. Friday, I don't even know what happened, but we had a great day, and then we went on a date night, and all of a sudden, I get home. It's like 9 o'clock at night, and I didn't get the trash bags. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Let me, let me look. And I, I, I just opened Amazon, and I saw on there, I, I found 30-gallon trash bags. And it said, order in 30 minutes, and they'll be at your house by noon tomorrow. I'm like, how? How does that work? How do they do that? And so I, I was like, fine, I'll do it. Pressed order. Sure enough, by noon the next day, trash bags were sitting on my doorstep, and I was thinking to myself, man, if I would have just done this on Monday, I wouldn't have had to wait, our house wouldn't be full of trash, I wouldn't have to clean out all these trash bins. Listen, you don't have to wait till next Sunday to worship again. You don't have to wait until next Sunday. You can keep worshiping today, and then you can worship throughout the rest of today, and guess what you can wake up doing tomorrow? And then guess what you can do all day Tuesday? And then guess how you can spend your Wednesday? And then guess how you'll finish out Thursday night? And then guess what you'll wake up doing Friday? Why? Because it's not a place we go, it's a people we become. We become worshipers. We embody worship. The Holy Spirit and the truest parts of me are crying out to God, I am a person of worship. Don't let your worship exist in one place. Don't let your worship only be relegated to Sunday mornings. Don't let it only be relegated to a prayer and worship night or to a live recording. We become people of worship. That's what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well. That's his message. No, no, no. It's not on a mountain and it's not down here in Jerusalem. It is in you. You become that worshiper, okay? Uh, number two, so Jesus redefines worship. That is probably in the New Testament the biggest pivot that worship experiences. Jesus completely redefines it. It's no longer relegated to a place. It is a person that you become. Now, and I love this one, he redirects worship. So he redirects it at this point. He has redefined it, and now look at this redirection. Matthew 15, 8 through 9. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. <whistles> Circle verse nine. Their worship is a farce. It's fake. It's a lie. There's nothing to it. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Think about this. The liturgical culture of the day was take an offering, bring it to a place, pass it off, that is my worship. And what began to happen was this. You had people living in public commendation with private corruption. That it, it wasn't here at all. It was just, oh, well, I'll just buy the right animal and I'll drop it off with the right priest and I'll let him be worship for me. We don't do that, right? Let the singers do all the worship. 
Let the singers be the worship. I'll, I'll show up and, and we'll let them do it. That was the culture of what was happening. And Jesus comes out. He redefines worship as someone that you become. And then he redirects worship. And he says, if all it is is an exterior show or all it is is an action or all it is is something you do, it's not worship. He says, it is fake. It is 100% a farce, it is a lie, it is a myth, it is not real. Anna, um, I'll tell you how Christmas gifts work in our house. Who, I know this is, you men are gonna act like you're all involved in all of it and blah, 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 blah. You're gonna laugh at me and make fun of me, but I know you do the same thing. Here's how involved I am in the Christmas gift purchasing. Anna comes to me, she gives me a list. I make sure I like everybody on the list. If you don't, then, I mean, sorry, hope you have a great Christmas. And then I give her a budget. And I'm like, okay, here is the budget. Here's how much we will spend on Christmas gifts. She's like, that's like 15 a person. I'm like, we'll take five from them, give them 20. We're just, we're on a budget. This is what we're doing, right? Catch the, catch the Black Friday sales. I give it to Hannah. She does all of the Christmas gift shopping. She gets all of them, does a beautiful, wonderful, incredible job, and then wraps them all up gives them all away, and I show up on Christmas morning, and I'm like, hey, how are y'all? Good to see you. Well, we were at a Christmas, and she had gotten a family member a gift, and the family member really liked the gift, and I, I had no I idea what the gift was, right? But they were talking to me, and they were like, hey, thank you so much for that. Like, it just, it was such a beautiful gift, and it was so well thought out, and it just, it meant so much to me in the season that we're in and everything, and I'm just like, oh, eh. of course it did, right? Yeah. And they're like, and they just keep going. So then they start in on the season of like, you know, it was just so, it was just timely, and, and, and I'm like, somebody bail me out of this, right? Like somebody, and I went to Anna, and I was like, afterwards, after, after faking, like it was all good. I think they watch online too. Well, surprise, you know, there you go. But I went to Anna, and I was like, babe, what was the gift? Tell me what the gift was. And she told me, like a picture of our kids in a nice frame with all this stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay. You know, and then the whole time I saw them at Christmas, I just felt like, you know, you know, you can give a gift and your heart not be in it, right? You can give a gift and if, if your heart isn't beating, if it's not, the, I felt, oh man, I'm kind of fake on that one. I kind of lied on that one. I feel like a fraud on that one, right? Like you can, you can give a gift with your heart not be in it and someone else receive the gift, but it'd do nothing for you. It's what Jesus is saying. Would you put your heart into it a little bit? Would you, would you let your heart be the place where worship births? Worship is not showing up on Sunday. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Worship is not showing up. And I love that you show up. And I love that you're here. And I love that you're a part of who we are. But if you want to take your worship to the next level, you have to recognize something. Worship is not showing up. That's, that's fake. That is a fart. Now, if that's where, you, did I say it's a fart? Is that what it sounded like? I meant farce, but you know, I've got little kids. I've got little kids, right? If that's where you're starting at, if you're new to church culture, if you're new to walking with Jesus, and for you, showing up and making it here on Sundays is becoming your worship and you're growing, that is beautiful. That's wonderful. I'm your biggest cheerleader. But if you've been here since day one, that is not worship. 
If you've been here five years, if we've been walking together longer than that, if you were with me when I was teaching young adults in Conroe, if we've been, if we've been together for 10 years, if we've been, showing up is not worship. That's not the gift. The gift is when it's redirected, when it is redirected from here. It's saying, Lord, I, I am going to worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to give you the truth of my heart. I'm going to deep, deep down in my soul, I am going to give to you what you have called me to. And, and that's why I, I love this last one. You know, but first, we talk about worship is not showing up. Let me, let me give you an example. That would be like a husband saying, um, I don't. I don't hug my wife, I don't kiss my wife, I don't hold my wife's hand, I don't rub my wife's shoulders at all, um, I barely show her any affection, but I come home every night. Bet your marriage is great. Bet things are going awesome, right? Like there, there is, there, there, you have to have your heart invested in it. Your heart has to be invested in it. And when your heart is invested in it, what happens? You express that affection that affection begins to be expressed from your heart. The deeper you fall in love with Jesus, the more you are longing to express that from your heart. That's the last part. Paul redefines or, or, or re-expresses worship. And, and I think Paul's the best example for this because Paul lives it out after an encounter with Jesus. And he was so, he was such a great Jew, right? He was such a great person at going to the place of worship. And then he has a conversion and he becomes the person of worship. And listen over and over and over. I'm going to give you three. You can read through his letters and see so many more. But here are three re-expressions of worship. The first one is lifestyle. Paul's lifestyle totally changes. Romans 12, verse 1, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You catch it, right? You don't go give the sacrifice. You now become the sacrifice. You don't go drop it off in a temple. You become that living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And then he says, this is truly the way to worship him. Number two, in allegiance. Paul, or if you hold to a different author, the pastor of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, doing what? Proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Over and over, what do we do? We proclaim allegiance to his name. We proclaim that the allegiance of our heart belongs to Jesus, that he is the highest authority in our heart. He is the supreme in our heart. He is our governing body of our soul is Jesus, proclaiming allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And then number three, uh, actions, words, and songs. So what you do, what you say, and the songs that we sing become our expression of worship. Colossians 3, 14 through 17. Paul says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you're called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all its richness 
fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He says, and whatever you do, whatever you say, whether you're preaching the message, you're living in peace, or you're singing the songs, whatever you do, let it be for the Lord. Let everything that is in you, let it come out in expression of worship. Worship is redefined in the heart, but it does not stay there. Worship is redefined in the heart, but it does not stay there. It comes out of you in expression. Um, I'm, I'm pretty introverted by nature. People always, I, I say that and people are like, how do you preach on stage? Like, well, I mean, introverts know how to talk, okay? Like, any, any other introverts in here, you get that all the time? It's like, how are you a human, right? No, introverts can talk, we can, we can communicate. Um, the difference is, it wears us out. Totally drains us, right? I mean, I love Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are some of my favorite because I love all of you. But I leave here and I'm not like, wow, I feel so charged. I'm like, nobody talk to me for the next two hours. I need a shake and espresso and I need, I need a nap. I need to be by myself, right? Um, what charges me up is being by myself. I could spend hours of time alone by myself and feel full and feel lifted up and feel ready. I can spend hours with you and love you and you wear me out, right? It's just, it's that tension, right? So <clears throat> I'm introverted by nature and uh, I started, it was, it was the craziest thing. I I, would, I was asked to speak, I remember the first time it happened, I was asked to share something impromptu at a prayer meeting in front of like 60 people. And all of the sudden, I, I am not kidding you, like I just, my vision went blurred. Like I started breathing so heavily, I started having a panic attack. My, I started breathing, I was, I was short of breath, I couldn't breathe, and then I started sweating like all over myself and, and I'm just kind of standing and I'm, I'm try, trying to finish my, my words and I, I just, I was total breakdown, right? Total breakdown. Uh, right after that it was announced I was gonna be planning a church. Those, there's not a lot of job security if you have panic attacks speaking to people and you're, and you're planting a church, right? Um, and, it, and, it, and it kept happening over and over. I would be sitting in a staff meeting and I would be asked for feedback and my heart would start pounding. I would start sweating. I would get nervous, unsure of my words. I didn't communicate well. The only way I was teaching a young adults class at the time was to be viciously prepared by way of my notes. That was the only way that I felt comfortable communicating anything at all. And so I was going through this and I, I was really, I mean, I was thinking I'm in big trouble. I'm, I'm gonna plan a church and I'm gonna get up there and I'm gonna absolutely melt down every single time I get on stage, right? Because these, these panic attacks kept hitting me. So I thought, okay, here's a good idea. This is a great idea when you're going through something like that, by the way. Find someone in the Bible that did. Find a story in the Bible where this happened and read it and pray it and study it and see how God moved and what God did. So for me, that was Moses, Exodus chapter four. I went to Exodus chapter four. I still got it highlighted all over here. And guys, I, I know you all don't have this, but let me, let me read this. So I'm going through this season where I am totally melting down when I'm asked to speak and I'm not prepared, right? Just sweats, heart pounding, totally falling apart. 
And so I get here and I get to Exodus chapter four and it says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. It's like, that's me. Perfect. I found myself. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decided whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Verse 13, so crazy. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. I can't can't talk to people. Send anyone else. Do something different. Imagine this. I'm having these panic attacks. I'm freaking out when I have to talk. And then I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, shoot. Should I be saying, like, Moses, Lord, send somebody else, right? Verse 14. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, He is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. So the Lord tells them they obey, they come together, they rally the elders of Jerusalem, and they say, hey, you have to go to Pharaoh, and that's Moses' moment to speak, right? So as they're preparing to go to this moment to, to encounter and to confront Pharaoh, this is what they did. It says, then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. What gave Moses the words to speak? What brought his heart peace? What gave him the confidence to be the person that God had called him to be? So he starts worshiping, and then what happens? Exodus chapter five, verse two, it says, he goes to Pharaoh, and what does he declare to Pharaoh? Let my people go so they can worship me. The Lord spoke so clearly to my heart, if you will worship me, I'll take these away, and you'll lead other people to freedom. Oh, I mean, it was so clear. If I will just, I get choked up thinking about it. If I'll just worship the Lord, he'll give me the words. If I worship the Lord, he'll bring my heart peace. If I worship the Lord, he'll show me what I'm supposed to do. And if I worship him, he will give me words, and then we will lead people to freedom. I've never had one since. Never had a panic attack since. I'll tell you, there are moments where I have had a crazy weekend and my kids are going nuts and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, it would be so much easier for me to stand backstage back there, hide in a green room and go over my notes back there and get better prepared and more dialed in. I've got 30 minutes of worship that I could go. And so, but, but there is, that's not what I'm here for. That's not why I'm here. I would rather be worshiped up and unprepared to speak than prepared to speak with no worship. 
I would rather have my heart expressing to God and fully surrendered to God and, and, and fully engaged in worship than know exactly what I'm supposed to say and how I'm supposed to say it. That's what the Lord does through the expression of worship. When I think about the next two weeks and what we are going to do, we are going to worship about the freedom that God has given us. We're gonna become the people he's called us to be and we are going to lead people to freedom. We are going to lead people all over the place to freedom through worship. When you hear the stories of what God has done through these songs, when you see the lives that have been changed through encounters of worship, you will not be the same. And then we're going to spread that to everybody else.